In this episode of the Unfolded Soul, Bless His Heart Leadership Podcast, my wife asked me a question that stopped me dead in my tracks and forced me to think about things I didn't want to consider. Girl, he reads from these journals he kept when he was a principal. Uncut and uncensored, putting all his business in the street. The podcast, Bless His Heart. The name, Ken Williams. Out of seemingly nowhere, my wife asked me if I loved my current school. Her sense was that I didn't love it like my last school, the school we left back in Maryland. Well, after pondering the question, I realized that, in fact, I love my kids. There are many busters and a whole new set of issues to deal with, but in the end, I love my kids. What I do also know is that I don't love all the adults working with them. Feeling like the primary advocate for 653 kids is overwhelming and burdensome, and I feel alone at times. Like I can't trust anyone. I want more believers and cheerleaders. What I've come to realize is that I'm gonna have to get this thing done. However, not with everyone in this room. I'm planning for what I believe will be the great upheaval. I'm gonna make some sweeping changes and meet with every staff member to discuss what I believe their role is gonna be next year. I plan to lay it down, unvarnished. Let's unpack. When I look at the question itself, you know, do you love your school? My wife asked me that question. The question in and of itself isn't a big deal. I think what stopped me dead in my tracks, what kind of knocked me off my feet, has more to do with my wiring than the question itself. I am, uh, you know, when you, you know, you do your due diligence before you make a purchase. You know, you check in the sales ads. And, you know, comparing prices, and then you make a decision. There are people who, when that decision is made, it's done. All right, we're moving forward. We're going to make this thing work. And there are other people who, even after they make the purchase, are going to watch the sales ads for the next two weeks to make sure they got the best deal, even though more than likely there's nothing they can do about it because they've already made the purchase. I am the former person. Right? When I make a decision, it's done. I'm looking forward, eyes forward. I'm not looking back wonder if I made the right decision. The decision is made and all my energy is going to go into making this thing work and, you know, forcing it if I need to. I'm not saying it's the, the, the best route to take. I'm telling you where my wiring is. So, you know, me loving this situation was going to come to pass in my mind. It had to because I've made the decision. Move my family down. You know, left my career in you know Montgomery County. It's it's got to work. I got no choice to have it work. And so all my energy, every bit of my energy and activity, all of my focus is looking forward. So I don't tend to stop and ask myself questions like, "Am I enjoying this more than I did my last assignment, or do I like this school more or less than my?" Uh, 
That does not compute in my world. My wife is more reflective in that way. And so when she asked me that question, it it stopped me dead in my tracks and made me look back and consider some things. And listen, I know I have to make some changes on staff at this point. I mean, it's January. This, this journal entry was dated January 17th. So we're five months in to the new school year. It's not like the question made me realize I need to make changes. I just don't like looking back. So, um, however, this journal entry, you know, lets me know that sometimes it is a good exercise. Sometimes it can hurt you. Sometimes it can help you. I think it was a good exercise. It just kind of put things in perspective. It got me to pause a little bit because my my wiring is such that once I decide I'm on something new, man, I'm gonna put my head down and I'm gonna grind. I'm not going to pick my head up again until it's where I need it to be. And so this is where we balance each other in the marriage. She kind of helps me stop and pause sometimes and feel uh, rather than just always forging ahead. But yeah, that was a sobering reality. You know, I knew, you know, I've had fleeting thoughts about staff and, but sitting with that question really made me know that I was going to make some changes and I, I, mean, I wrote that down. I believe it's going to be the great upheaval um, without question. Now, here's where being a bit of an experienced principal helped me. Didn't have a whole lot of experience, but enough to know this. This upheaval, this, these changes in staff, um, kind of getting more of the right people on the bus, is going to happen by accident. It is. It's, it's not going to happen by accident. And I want to make clear also, there's a difference between having good, competent staff and, okay, how can I put this? Many times I work, I coach principals and they've got good, competent staff who aren't doing or executing uh, all the best practices with fidelity. And then we, you know, they, they wish they could hire people like, you know, the third grade team who seems to get after it and know intuitively how to get along and, and work collaboratively. In situations like that, that's not a matter of staffing or hiring. That's a matter of the leader providing the resources and the supports that are aligned with their expectations. That's that's what it is. We, we spend way too much time wishing for better teams instead of getting those teams coached up, right? Because every once in a while we run into a team that just, it, everything just seems to fall into place. And, and then we dupe ourselves into believing that that's how great teams are formed. No, that's just, that's just the, the, the rare synergy that happens when the right people get together, have the right affect, you know, have the right mindset. That's 10% of your teams. The other 90% of your effective teams are going to happen through training and getting coached up. Collaboration is not a natural skill. Now, so I'm always encouraging principals, look, I mean, unless your folks are like incompetent or kid killers who literally have to be moved out, this is usually a matter of capacity building. Now, that said, I'm telling you, I was beyond capacity building. Now, I'm not saying I had a school full of deadbeats. I didn't. But I did have I did have some adults that I think were mired in underperformance 
and uh, an underperforming culture for so long that they just weren't able or willing to shake that and put on a new coat. And for those folks, you know, I had some folks who I believe were incompetent. I'm not going to lie to you. We, we did. And then we had another group of folks who just weren't willing to make the changes, right? And But I also knew that no matter who I brought on, I was going to have to do with Rick DeFore, God rest his soul, he's to talk about uh, reciprocal accountability. For everything I asked of them, I had to provide an equal amount of resources and supports to get there, right? You don't hire people and they just all of a sudden wake up in their professional learning community. So I just want to make that clear. This wasn't about just... Uh, sweeping out folks who got on my nerves with the hopes of hiring uh, people who seem to be more aligned with our mission and vision. There's always going to be a component of getting folks coached up and providing those resources and supports. And so I know these, uh, you could be listening to this podcast at any time during the school year, but it may be a good time to reflect. Like, where are you in terms of your staff? You know, what, uh, how much of your, how much of your leadership should be about getting your existing staff coached up? How much of your leadership should be about helping folk find a better fit for themselves as well? You have to ask yourselves those kind of questions, but be really honest, right? Don't, Getting rid of competent people because they didn't walk in with uh, all the skill sets that are aligned with what you want, that's not the answer. If you got competent people, then it's on you to hunt and gather what they need, right? The coaching they need, the capacity building they need. You need to be able to take things off their plates. You can put the right things on their plate, right? To arm them with the resource, the good resources and supports to get the job done. You know, it's like when a baseball team is considering trading a pitcher, and sometimes their greatest fear is that the pitcher that didn't work out for their team is going to go to another team and and flourish, right? So I want you to think about that. The last thing I want you to consider is this, and I'm going to say this over and over and over again. The principalship is a visionary position. And I don't mean visionary as in that looks good on a t-shirt and it sounds good in quotes. Visionary means, among other things, that you see the dawn before everyone else. That you see the dawn before the day starts. That you see around corners for your staff. And that while that sounds good and rolls off the tongue, what it really, really means is sometimes you have you're gonna know better for them before they know. And what does that mean in the world of uh, human interaction? That means sometimes the stuff you decide is not gonna be popular. Uh, you're not going to curry favor with some of your decisions. Your gift card game is going to take a hit. I don't know how many times I can say that. Your gift card game is going to take a hit, and you've got to be willing to deal with that and embrace it. It's much like uh, the James McGregor Burns quote that I'll share one day on the podcast, but one of the lines is, leaders have to be willing to be unloved. That's a part of leadership. Not because you're simply not making decisions that people want. It's because the visionary nature of leadership, where you have to see ahead and know that the decisions you're making on the front end, everyone's not going to see right away. 
and trust that when they see it on the back end, they get better results. It may then change their attitudes. But that's, that's part of what I call the blessed burden of leadership. And, you know, making decisions about staffing and assignments uh, is not always going to be met with 100% approval. And I say this as a relational leader and as someone who, <laughs> through therapy, realizes and realized that I want people to like me. Um, a lot and in an unhealthy way sometimes so I know it's tough for you know some leaders especially relational ones who kind of get the knot in their stomach when it's time to confront issues but uh, that's part of the blessed burden it it, it comes with the gig you're not going to get this quote unquote buy-in on the front end from everybody that's not how buy-in works we'll do an episode on that at some point it's uh, it's a visionary position and, you know, visionary sounds good when you're looking up leadership quotes, but in life, in reality, it means you're going to see the benefits before others do. And that's the blessed burden. Hey, I would love to hear from you if you've had... One of those, uh, my grandmother called it, come to Jesus moment where you realize you have to make some changes and perhaps like how you went about it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Would love to know that. Please do email me at blesshisheartken, blesshisheartken at gmail.com. On the next episode of the Unfold the Soul, Bless His Heart Leadership Podcast, I have an incident where classroom chaos almost clouded my vision. Thank you again for listening. Remember, make the choice to make your day great. And always keep in mind that when you wake up on the right side of dirt, you playing with house money, baby. You playing with house money. You've been listening to the Unfold the Soul Bless His Heart podcast with Ken Williams. For more information about Ken, visit unfoldthesoul.com.